Welcome back to the Act 2 Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tosh Q. And I am Josh Allman. And we have a very special guest today, my manager, Michelle. Would you Hi. like to introduce yourself? That's a good introduction. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are perfect for each other. <laughs> we like to stay behind the scenes of things. <laughs> well, I'm excited. I was saying it before. I feel like I know Michelle. Tasha talks about you often. I, I feel like I know you more than oh, you probably no, think I know you. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm friends with Michelle. Uh, and, <laughs> and so I'm very happy you're here. And Tasha might not say this, so I'm going to say it. But you are a wealth of knowledge. I know that you know story, you know structure, you know character. I feel like you are, uh, you're like, you're like a AI Per, you're like you know everything you know more than everyone else and i'm very excited to hear your breakdown no that's really scary <laughs> no pressure no at pressure. all none. none none so today we're doing what i hope to be the first in a series of these film and tv breakdowns with michelle if she'll come on and do these you just have to be nice to me today yeah <laughs> we'll see how it goes uh we'll be offering these breakdowns as part of our patreon that we'll be releasing later this month occasionally so you can have these like bonus episodes that you can check out but today we are talking specifically about the pixar movie brave and even more specifically about how the mother-daughter theme functions in this movie we're really focusing on this part of the movie because something Michelle and I talk a lot about is we ha often have these really big ideas and these big themes, like a topic we want to discuss, like cycle of abuse is something we talk about, the nature of evil, mothers and daughters. But a lot of times we have these big ideas without kind of a story to wrap around it that we feel like we need to tell with it. And something I actually remember Michelle said early on when we first were meeting that made an impression on me was... Okay, you have this idea. Is the story that you've chosen to tell the right story that fits that idea? For example, is the villain the right antagonist for your hero? You may want to write this great villain, but if it's not the right antagonist for your hero, maybe it's not the, the right story for that villain to be in. For example, also, if the story of Brave took place in, like, I don't know, modern-day New Jersey with a mob family, that actually might work well. I don't know. <laughs> that could actually still work. <laughs> But point is, the movie, I think, is a great example of something Pixar does so well, which it takes this really big topic, in this case, mothers and daughters, and it wraps a story around it that makes it feel watchable, it makes it commercial, and it really takes you on an emotional journey. Now, obviously, if you're not familiar with this movie, you need to go watch it instantly. Mm -hmm. But the basic story of Brave follows Merida, who is a Scottish princess who is a bit wild, she's a bit unruly. Her mother, the queen, is trying to train her to be a lady, which Merida very much resents. She just wants to ride around on her horse and shoot her bow and arrow all day. Then one day, Merida's mom organizes an arranged marriage for Merida. And one of the three sons of these three main clans of Scotland are coming to win her favor. Merida resents this so much that she runs away to a witch and asks for a spell to change her mom so she wouldn't have to get married. But the spell, of course, is more complex than Merida realizes, and it actually turns her mom into a bear. And she has two days to repair her relationship with her mom, or her mom will be a bear forever. So we are going to talk about how Pixar sets up and builds the mother-daughter story in Brave, making it work not only as an emotional story, but of course as a movie at large. I thought we would do 
and you guys can can change it up if you'd like, but I thought we could do like start with act one, how is the mother-daughter story set up? Uh, act two, how does it progress? And then act three, how does it resolve? And obviously Michelle, if you have anything, not Josh, but only Michelle, if you have anything yeah. to bring up along the way, <laughs> we can do that too. When, when Tasha said, we're doing, you know, we're gonna be talking about mothers and daughters. I was like, great. <laughs> <laughs> you have a mother and a daughter. <laughs> Oh, we'll, yeah. we'll do a father-son story next time. Oh, that'll be therapy. There's a lot of them. That'll be great. That'll be <laughs> <Yeah>. great. <laughs> All right. Before we start, before we get into it, I know we're already into it, but before we even get into it further, I just want to give a little bit of history of this movie because I went down a bit of a rabbit hole, as I tend to do. Just a small backstory. In 2008, Brave was announced, but it was titled The Bear and the Bow. They hadn't quite figured it out yet. It was written and directed by Brenda Chapman, who in 1998 had become the first woman ever to direct an animated feature from a major studio. She did Prince of Egypt. She's also the first woman to win an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature for Brave. Wow. Even though in 2010, she was replaced with a first-time director and a man named Mark Andrews, who had previously been a story supervisor on The Incredibles and had directed One Man Band, if you recall that one of their early short films. Now, apparently this all happened because the movie was 18 months from being released and it was a bit of a mess. At least that's the opinion of Andrews and a few other people at Pixar. So Andrews went in, he killed a lot of babies as it were, uh, including he got rid of a lot of fairy tale elements that had been in there. There were even more stuff than just witches and will-o'-the-wisps. And Apparently, he said he focused more on the mother-daughter story, that there were a lot of other character threads going on in the movie that it was difficult to balance, and so he wanted to simplify. Which may be the reason, actually, Michelle, you were kind of texting me that you felt a bit confused with what the theme of the movie is, so maybe that's part of it, which we'll, I'm sure, get into. And then final fun fact, Reese Witherspoon was originally cast as Merida, but because of scheduling issues and because she couldn't nail down her Scottish accent, she was recast, and of course, Kelly McDonald, an actual Scottish person, <laughs> now plays <laughs> Merida. <laughs> okay, that's my long-winded intro. I'm done talking. Let's talk about Act One of Brave. Go. We're, we're, real quick, can just generally speaking, can we? Do you guys like the movie? I love this movie. Okay. I love it. I can't stop. Well, I've I've watched it on repeat sometimes. I insisted that Paul finally watch it with me, which he did last night. And I don't think he loves it as much as I do. He was on his phone a few times, which I was very offended by. But I'm like, why aren't you wrapped by this movie? Uh, but yeah, I love it. I, I, I don't. Is that okay? That's totally okay. I had an interesting experience with it because I saw it years ago when it first came out. Um, and that was right around the time I became a mother. And now I have a 12-year-old and an 8-year-old. And being a mother of, of an 8-year-old daughter... I, watching it now, I, I had a really tough time with the mother character, with Eleanor, um, because I wanted something more from her that displayed why she was just kind of following the rules of their system and a princess should be this way and a princess should be that way because she really wasn't paying attention to who her daughter was. And that's kind of one of the first things you try to do as a parent, right? Which is, yes, you want to teach them and raise them a certain way and give them the values, but you also want to see your kid for who they are. 
and yeah, maybe it's a period movie and it's it's trying to play into old stereotypes, but I was I was craving something and we can talk about it at, at points when we get into the story because there were moments for it where you just wanted a little bit of an understanding of why she was so strict with her because there's the opening scene where she's this like loving mother embracing her saying some version of you know I and, and it's repeated later in the movie right I'll always I'm always there for you I'm and like that line almost he wanted it to be like you know just I see into your eyes or I just see that brightness in you or I see um, this you have this special spark like something that um, kind of had a little bit more from that mom perspective. counterpoint because mm-hmm. I feel like that's the arc of the movie right it's that the mom doesn't see her child she doesn't yeah. listen to what she wants and then eventually like a final shot is them riding in the woods in this wild gallop together so they finally hear each other so if that's the arc does it still bother you that she starts that way yes because I, I I think you want there to be a reason she starts that way and I don't know what her reason is right like is the reason because my mom never let me do this or I don't want you to fall like this goes into mother-daughter themes right like I don't want yeah. you to end up like me or I didn't want you to and this is why I was doing this and I was wrong and I should have seen you more but but we never got into like that understanding of why she was the way she was keep in mind like, I didn't feel this way before I had kids when I watched it. It feels mm-hmm. in a way stereotypical, right? Like it has those tropes yeah. within it. But I just wanted there to be a little bit more specificity or I just, I didn't like the mom. Okay, so this is my takeaway because I think it is actually there. It's just very subtle and never quite stated. At one point, she states to her husband um, because she'd never, that's that's part of, I think, the cleverness of at least the setup of the mother-daughter relationship is they never actually talk intimately to each other. Mm-hmm. The mother actually has this really great scene where he ta- she talks to her husband about what I would say to my daughter. And one of the things she says there is, I want you to have more than we had. This, I- this idea that like I don't want you to struggle the way we struggled to get to where we are was a takeaway there. And I think the second piece is actually in sort of the process of the movie. It's not something that's stated, but a really great scene for me that illustrates what you're talking about or what you're talking about wanting is the scene where they're in the throne room and all of the different clans start arguing with each other. And the queen is trying to be like Fergus, her husband, the king, like try and like get these rowdy people to stop, try and get them to pay attention. And all the king does is just like, (laughs) arouse even more like anger and aggression and suddenly the whole entire clan all the clans just start breaking out and fighting and the queen has to be like the mother in this situation and get people back in order so we can have a civil conversation and so to me I always felt like the reason why she's so tough on Merida is because she understands that without someone like her doing this job like this it would be absolutely chaos in this kingdom and war would just break out so it's so necessary to be this and merit is not mature enough to understand that so like that's what that was my takeaway See, of why i love so that but i wish that came out in the movie right like i i felt it in points too but like eleanor never says that later on like actually the reason is women need to be stronger than men right let's let's yeah. go into that theme right and women the reason why I'm training you the way I am or parenting you the way I am is because that's the way I know. But actually, you're teaching me something and you can be just as strong. You are your version of this. But you, you know, the woman's place because you want it to feel like that. Like, yeah, the, in, in the end, the, 
the women's strength is what makes the difference. So if there was just a more direct line in Act 1 about that, that would fix it for you, you think? If I got the sense that the mom was trying to hold everything together, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I do think so. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Josh, do you have anything to add? Ah, Jesus Christ. Josh didn't say whether he liked the movie or not. I I was was watching that. that I was like, I'm bowing out. Uh, I did. I liked it. I do kind of agree with Michelle a little bit. I think for... I mean, we're breaking, we're really going into a Pixar movie, but I think for Pixar purposes, you do need a little bit of, like, for instance, in uh, Moana, there was the older mother who kind of explained why the father was the way, she, I think, so mm. there, there was, that was kind of like the yeah. technique in there, but I agree that there was a little bit missing of the backstory and justification to why the mother was the way she was, but I liked it. I'm going to now stop talking and let you continue. Um, I, I, something that I thought was really interesting was the, the opening that you'd mentioned where it's almost this idyllic scene. There's a tent, they're kind of camping, they're playing hide and seek mom and daughter. It really sets up, I think what their true relationship is, which is they truly do love each other. And it's interesting to start there because of course, if you had just started with the mother being just so hard on her daughter and you start at the teenage level where in the present day, I don't think you'd be invested at all. And it sounds like you weren't maybe at all anyways without this, but with this opening to me, I was like, oh, this is their, their actual true status quo. And then they've grown apart. And I'm, and I'm excited for the movie to take me on a journey where they get back to that opening scene. And without that opening scene setting that up, I feel like I wouldn't know where I'm growing to. I wouldn't know, I wouldn't care about this mother-daughter relationship repairing. So I just thought that was a clever sort of way to start the movie. I think quo. so too. I bet. I wonder if it was a reshoot, if it was one I wonder of those that things too. added on later. But and I wonder, like, I think that was also the place where I was craving something a little bit more of like, again, as a mother, I know, like looking into my daughter's eyes when she was a baby and just seeing something in her and, and the smile and this light. And it's it's still that same light that I see today, even though we get in a fight and I we joke about it, right? Like, it's like, what's that little... Uh, element that feels so specific to that mother-daughter relationship instead of like, oh, here's just mm. another mother-daughter relationship. I'm always going to be there for you. And I think that's a bit of what I was craving. But to to kind of mm-hmm. jump into the theme more, this was something that really hit me when I was going through this with you. And I'm so excited that you asked me to do it because it forced me to get back into thinking about theme and thinking about um, how to build out theme. Because what I'm most interested in here in doing these breakdowns is how does this help you as a writer or just kind of talk about story, find the ideas, right? How to find the kind of even what you were mentioning earlier about, you know, what, what is the best way to tell the story that you want to tell and the elements that you need within it. And we do talk a lot about wanting to find that mother daughter story and, and what's our version or what's the, the one that resonates. And I think the challenge with that is that mother daughter is such a big arena And you have to kind of look even deeper within that arena to find the specific conflict to tell the mother-daughter story you want to tell. And that Mm -hmm. was my big takeaway from it. Like, and that this mother-daughter conflict is about, I'm not being seen. I'm not being heard. My mom doesn't understand me. And I'm rebelling against that because I want to be seen. Um, Mm -hmm. Versus there's many other daughter-mother conflicts, right? There's the, you know, uh, 
like the daughter doesn't think she could live up to her mom's expectations. I don't think that's in this one, right? Or mm -hmm. the daughter, um, the unhealthy mother-daughter relationship or the mother-daughter relationship where the mom really wants to be the friend and it's unhealthy mm -hmm. that way or it is healthy or the, the, the yeah, the, the toxic, <laughs> there's a lot of those too. But, um, you know, just in terms of poor boundaries, even favoritism, right? You've got other siblings and there's different levels of conflict. And I think that was a big learning for me just in the past, whatever. Yeah. Hours. I mean, I think what's so cool about this movie is you can definitely tell it like the idea probably came from Brenda and it, the story did come from her, like having a moment with her daughter where her daughter was like, I just wish you were different. Or I just wish you would listen to me. And like, I just, if you changed, you know, then like you could hear me just like some kind of conversation about that, because the specificity is always there from her original story all the way through to the end. It's always about that. So you're right. It's like a small sliver of a problem within the mother daughter, like huge Arena. umbrella. That's right. Yeah. Which is why it's so important to like live in the world, because I feel like these ideas come to you when you're not writing, when you're not sitting at a desk trying to like really dig into what your mother daughter theme is. It's like a situation happens with your mom and you're like, oh, like this particular thing is really interesting. I could build a story around that. Right. I think I often feel like I have to sit at a desk and just like write out themes and write write my way to my solution. And that might not always be the case, I guess, is the point. Yeah, that always raises the question, do you start with theme or do you start somewhere else? And I'm smiling I actually because listen we to, talk about that. <laughs> I know, we, we talk about it all the time. Because uh, writers think you don't start with theme. Writers think you, theme comes later. Brenda, actually, I, I was watching an interview with her and for her, she said, I start with the character. So in this case, my interpretation of kind of what she was saying, even though she was speaking more broadly, was like, for instance, Merida or the queen. Starting with that person, you know you want to do a mother-daughter story. Start with the mom. What is the mother's problem? She feels like she has to be in control all the time so that her kingdom can run smoothly. Okay, like, let me dig into this problem that the mother has first and then I can understand maybe like what the conflict might be with her daughter given that this is who she is and this is what she wants and maybe that will help open up like what actual story to, to tell like the bear stuff maybe that came later after she was sort of brainstorming who Eleanor was so I think like that that to me like I started thinking about that after seeing that like maybe for my story the big theme I want to do is like start with a character I want to place in that space and then just do a do character work until maybe a story reveals itself so the, I, I take the other perspective, and that might just be because I'm not a writer, where I look at the value of having your premise of, like, if you want to tell a mother-daughter story, I agree with what you're saying, Tasha, like, you need to live in the world, right? You need to pay attention to what is that access point that's interesting to you? What piece of a mother-daughter story do you want to tell? And if it is, like, and then how do you turn that into um, kind of like, your resolution of your movie, your if then statement, right? In this movie, I would say it's like, if you're brave enough and you communicate more, like you can be heard and be understood. Is it is the bigger question like starting with theme or not starting with theme? Kind of. It's interesting because for brave, it, it feels like this is the type of movie that you would start with theme. I feel like if, if, if I was, if this, if you were getting into writing brave, it does seem like what Michelle was saying. It's, it's, you have a very personal experience with your mother or with your daughter and it's something you've gone through and it's like, this is what this movie is about. Like I could, I could see that being kind of the theme just being there from the very get go. 
but this goes back to the debate because there are times where you kind of maybe have a concept or a premise or a relationship and you still don't know the theme, but I guess it's like a case by case basis, but I'm willing to bet with Brave yeah. theme was there from the get go. Yeah. Like, I don't think I'm just thinking of Die Hard because of the other podcasts, but <laughs> yeah. I don't think that starts with theme, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that starts <laughs> right. with situation, situation, it idea, does. kind of the fun, the action, the like, and then what do I, what do I play with here? But I think some of the movies that have more kind of emotional resonance, they start with a, th- a thematic premise that would be, you know, an, or I'd love to guide writers to be starting with that thematic premise. Because, you know, I, another thing I've talked to Tasha a lot about is, you know, you look at whether it's character or your world or your genre. And I think writers always have, like, I'm thinking about um, uh, Finding Nemo, right? Where I'd read something where what Stanton had... You know, remembered looking at the fish tanks in, in the dentist office, right? And always loved, like, you know, what would it be like to do a story under, under the, you know, in the ocean, under the ocean? Like, that was a place, that was the world he wanted to help. But then he needed to find the story for that world. So it's like you have different elements of things mm. in your yeah. head at all times. Like, okay, I want to tell something in this world. Because, by the way, Brave could have been told this mother-daughter story we've probably seen in other movies, right? The, I have not been heard before, I need my mom to recognize me for who I am. I can't think of it at the moment, but there are th- that story's been told before in probably different worlds, in a different genre. So it's kind of looking at all these elements together to put your story idea and have that holistic story idea. Yeah, but even then I feel like you're admitting that stories can come from completely different places than theme and that potentially it could start with like, I could yes. come to you and be like, Michelle, I want to do a story about a fish tank. <laughs> yes, yes. And then you'd be like, okay. But I feel like your next question would be, then what is the theme? Yes. And I feel like, I, I don't know what that is. I just I just yes. want to do a story about a fish tank and how fish get into a fish tank. So let me write that first and I'll figure out what the theme is. And so your way of solving that or finding the answers is through writing. Yes. And I don't think through writing. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> so oh, that wow. might be the difference, right? As not a writer, I think by sitting in my closet <laughs> and writing notes down thinking about on stickies. what is the theme <laughs> or I start thinking what are themes that I'm drawn to what are themes or what are the themes we've talked about before or like you know what are, what's the character that could be great for that world or what's the villain that could because that's the other piece we've talked about many different elements like types of a character of course I'm not thinking of the examples right now but oh that would be the great one to use for here right or mm-hmm. and you know I think also again going back to Finding Nemo that there was some incident that he remembered, that Stanton remembered, like in, in the moment with his son where he was being overprotective. And it was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is the story I want to tell in this world. And I'm going to do yeah. a father-son. Like, so it's, it's, well, I always joke about people saying like ideas come to you in the shower. I'm like, they don't come to you in the shower unless you've been thinking about them, right? <laughs> like, right. They'll eventually will come, but it's like, okay, I love this type of world or I really want to do a mother-daughter story or I really want to do... And then it's like, and I've always loved this kind of character. And it's, it's, it's finding those connections. I think that's when yeah. you have your full idea is when you make those connections between all those elements. Because I think the challenge with writing, and then we can get back into the breakdown, sorry, <laughs> is that um, is as a writer, you could sit down and write a 120 page script and you could be like, okay, what's my midpoint? What's my you know low point? What's my conclusion? And you can do all of that without having these elements all sorted. And then you can come find your theme later. But because you can just keep writing. But I think if you take a step back and I don't want to say analyze, but try to dig deeper into what, what is it that I want to say with this story, right? Mm-hmm. What do I want to say when, you know, the, 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 the proverbial curtain 
comes up at the end that I want people to be thinking about, the, the earlier you know that and, and can make those connections into the character and the genre, I think the stronger your story will be by the end. I agree. Same. Okay, so we're done. Goodbye. Okay. This is a good <laughs> podcast. And I don't know if this, this, this just, I think this next thing that I'm going to say is illustrative of just the process of production, which I find very interesting in terms of theme, because I've certainly gone through a story where I feel like I knew my theme of the episode that I was writing. But once I got into production, I was like, oh, it's not coming through correctly. Or um, actually the theme is kind of more this other theme, this like sub theme that I had. And I want to bring that up instead. So it seems like in the production of Brave, wasn't until Mark Andrews came in, again, like 18 months until release, which is so close, especially for animation. Um, There's so much drawing, it takes takes forever. But that, that really, to me, key scene about the theme where it's intercutting between Eleanor talking to her husband about what I would say to Merida and then Merida talking to her horse about what I would say to my mom, but them not talking to each other didn't come until much later. Like, it was Mark Andrews' sequence. Apparently, like, they had those conversations. They kind of existed separately, but it was his idea to intercut them in such a way where I think it becomes very clear at that point in the movie that these two women are not talking to, to each other, and that's the core problem of the movie. Um, And I think that's an interesting lesson that even though the theme was there, it wasn't coming through or they, they realized they weren't really illustrating this idea. And then it just kind of came to them very late in the game. And I think that's okay. I think, I think I always feel pressure to have those big ideas like you're talking about, to have those solutions so early in the process that if I don't have it, I just like full stop, stop working on things versus like, allowing myself to realize like that stuff can come much later in the process you just got to keep working through it to find those moments of inspiration i think i'm shaking my head me too (laughs) you can't see that on a podcast that's a lie (laughs) no i I, again it's a process i think that's always that that this is a creative process and things i mean i movies that have been released i'll come up with an idea and i'm like oh we should have done that (laughs) like oh it's too late It's true. Yeah, it's never done, I feel like. Oh, we should have changed the title on that one. That would have made all the difference, right? (laughs) Um, And, you know, you do have, um, you hope it comes, the ideas come to you in the right frame of time. But um, I do agree that that sequence, the intercutting, was was super helpful in demonstrating that theme. Like, I, I... I kind of latched on to that moment too. Like, okay, yeah, that's what's happening it. here. And it's great. I did too. Yeah. It was super clever. The part that also confused me, which I, you, you mentioned earlier, was there's this whole theme about fate and can you choose your fate? Can your fate be changed? And I wasn't sure what the movie was wanting to say about that because it was, that's the voiceover in the beginning. And then the will-o'-wisps represent fate in mm-hmm. some way, I, 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 mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and then the voiceover comes again at the end and that your fate is up to you if you are brave enough, I think was what it was trying to say. So this actually made me think of your original thing about like not having more backstory with the mother to justify some of her actions. Because I thought about this as well. Like I forgot about the fate thing. Even even watching it again, I've seen the movie before. Even watching, I was like, this is about fate? What? And... And I do wonder if that if there was something baked into the mother's backstory that we just didn't see that had to do with her being like, your fate is predetermined. You're, this is your destiny. You are going to be this woman who sits next to the 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 king or mm. the age, and you will abide by certain rules and you will behave a certain way. And I 
again, we didn't necessarily see that, but I wonder if there was some kind of connection that we didn't see that might have been there before, might have been plucked out. I have no idea. But this is or all they to didn't say, develop it enough. They didn't develop the it enough. Released. <laughs> I, I yeah. completely agree that the like the wisps are really cool, and like the idea. But I was like, I totally forgot this was in it. But you do question. She's asking in the movie, "Why did the wisps take me here?" So in a way, you're almost discounting that fate is up to you because if they're part of fate, they're yeah. the reason you've been able to make the spell or um, kind of pushing back on your mom. So that was the stuff that started confusing me where I was like, okay, what, what is this movie trying to say about fate and, and how that all connects with her because it isn't. Yeah. And I don't want to be too critical. because no, no, no. no, they do feel like competing ideas and it's like pick one. If I were to try to justify it, I mean, there's something about... I mean, I think she does have a line somewhere, Josh, that's very tossed off the mother about like, this is this is just who you are. You have to accept that you're going to be a queen and there's there's no other way around it. Grow up. Um, so like the idea that I'm I'm stuck where I am and the only way to change it is by like making that outside force different. Same with like the backstory of Mordu, the, the spare that had been a prince who was trying to change his I own I thought he was going to and- come back in the end and that would have been her <laughs> like he she would have rescued the spell and he could have been the person that she ends up with <laughs> oh shit <laughs> that'd be great an interesting love story <laughs> right yeah yeah although because he's a mass murderer so i don't know if that's the right no thing. but he's not because it's it's his i loved how as the movie progressed the mom's instincts became eleanor's instincts became more bear-like right or more animalistic mm-hmm. right and she was kind mm-hmm. of ashamed you could tell right even she couldn't talk, but like she was like, oh, no, wait, I'm ex- acting like a bear, right? That you can't control that part, but that you're misunderstood, because I think that's also it. The bear is misunderstood, and so there's a yeah. parallel there. But like, I don't know. I just kept thinking that was what would happen. That's more Disney, I guess, than Pixar. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true, actually. <laughs> but I think what I resonate with at the end when she says something about um, you have to be brave enough to change your fate, like the whole second act of the movie is being I guess brave enough to connect with your mom brave enough to do something like she I guess getting into the act two kind of like bare face of the movie there are like two pivotal scenes I think that progress this problem of the movie which is mom and daughter not communicating with each other and the first is a, like really sweet scene where mama bear she gets some berries for breakfast she tries to eat them like a proper queen and it just doesn't work and then Merida's survival skills kick in and she's like you know those those berries are poison and that water that you got has worms in it so mama bear now has to listen to Merida to survive she has to learn how to fish in the river with Merida and it's super sweet has this great <laughs> soundtrack to it and mom finally learns to listen to her daughter in this mm-hmm. scene and then the second like reverse situation is Merida has to go back home to repair this family tapestry that she's cut in half mend the bond as they say in the movie but the problem is all of the clans are in the main hall that she has to pass through with her bear mom. And so she has to distract all of these men the same way that the queen did in an earlier scene. So it's kind of a mirror of that that moment. And Merida has to like, step up and do what her mom has taught her all this time in order to succeed in this mission to get her mom secretly up the stairs. So it's now the reverse where Merida has to listen to mom in order to survive. So I thought like those two moments of... I guess both of them being brave enough to listen to the other finally 
is what that like fate piece is about. And that's me doing a lot of gymnastics to make it work. So it's possible, as I said, like Mark Andrews felt that when he came onto the movie, there were a lot of different threads going on. I wonder if fate was a bigger part of the story. And he was like, that doesn't really work. But let's like tone it down and make it smaller and maybe just like bookend it because it gives us some kind of framework. It's so interesting because until you gave that context up front, I didn't know that this was rewritten or redirected 18 months prior to release. I mean, they did a good job then, right? Like, it <laughs> um, it's very solid given that. <laughs> so I'm um, kind of looking through holes or, or what it was that they were trying to repair, but it's, I, it's interesting. Yeah. I, um, the, the moment you mentioned when they're in they're like about the berries and they're fishing and I love that point. I love that those moments. I actually thought it was such a clever way to show Merida in control and now mom has to listen. I do think you're doing some gymnastics to get there to be like, I am brave enough to listen to my daughter. I didn't really look at it in that regard. Yeah. I love those moments. I think it was very clever yeah. just the, the way that they put that all together. But do you think the movie needed the fate element? Here's what I like about the fate element, because I feel like as kids in particular, we're like, there's all these outside forces and Merida for the whole movie is like, it's not my fault. It's this other thing that's happening to me. Why can't I do the thing that I want to do? And then by the end, she realizes that actually I'm the one responsible for changing my situation. I have to listen to my mom. Me and my mom have to have a conversation. So it's not about changing my fate by some kind of magic spell that's exterior to me. It's like I have to sit and have quiet moments with my mom in order to repair this. And I, I mean, that's kind of what her final line is, even though it's not that on the nose. It's something about, you know, I forget the final line, actually. But it's something about it's something about that. You have to take it upon yourself to, to change the thing. And so I think in that way, it does relate but the word fate just gets makes it feel very jumbled. I, I actually love the fate aspect of it. It makes it feel bigger. It's, yeah, I can see that. Gives it an epic quality a bit. Yeah. Especially since it's kind of connected to this ancient story as well, that she's she was in the similar vein as this, you know, ancient Mordu who turned into a, a giant monster that haunts this land. Like she could have been another victim of this problem if she hadn't stopped and listened to her mom. <laughs> That's the theme of the movie. <laughs> Listen to your mother. I love how all the um, uh, the princes are portrayed as just kind of. I'm looking for a nice word, <laughs> but they're idiots. Yes, <laughs> they're all some version of another idiot. I mean, and you're like, no, why would you want to marry any of these? Why would and, and as a mom, why like you would almost be like, oh, we have a problem here, right? Like. What are we, what are we doing, and and how do we raise better men? Um, but that's a whole other theme. I know. I I only ask. I think the fate. I love ideas of fate and stories of fate. But I did feel like there was something disjointed between the two here. Do you think a solve would just be to like take it out and make like? Do you think the voiceover is key to sort of bookending the story and making it feel I don't know like uniform? And should the voiceover have just been different or? Do you think take out the voiceover entirely and you're fine? Well, I think a solve could be you take it out and you're fine. But I think people probably really liked the elements. They didn't want to take it out. I think the better solve would have been what you said earlier, where the mom could have had a perspective on fate. Mm -hmm. And like that there was something about what your life is or this is your fate or this is who you are or connecting it somehow in that. Um, and also in the mom's journey, 
right? So that the mom making all the elements just, again, come together. Yeah, I feel like if there were two new lines in the movie, this movie might have been perfect. Like, literally, I feel like it's just two yeah. lines from Eleanor. Yeah. yeah. And it might have worked. Yeah. I, I tend to be, as you know, like, I, I tend to be very vague, and I have to get more direct the more drafts that I do. But I do think this movie was too subtle in many ways, and it, it would benefit from being a little bit more on the nose with the dialogue. And that doesn't mean the dialogue has to be very expositional. It can still obviously be in the character's voice. But this is a great example of a movie that could benefit from a little bit more on the nose dialogue point of view from the characters. I love that you've said that. <laughs> it's a lesson like, I am learning. Vindicated! <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's also, it's also very easy to pull back when something is too overstated. Right. See, I like to start. I like to start vague because I like to see what you can piece together without me telling you. And then if you get confused, I'm like, okay, you're confused here. I'll give you a little bit more. How about now? Okay, you're still right. confused. How about now? Right, right. Ambiguity. <laughs> yeah, too much ambiguity. I was going to ask a question about the turning points of the movie because I felt like we got off track on our midpoint. Yeah. So I got confused about where the act breaks were when I was watching this movie, to be honest, because at minute 34 is when the witch stuff happens. And I was like, oh, that's the break into two. Right. Right. And then act two is like the bear phase. Right. And then act three is really short. Act three is then just um, the mom gets found out by the, the, the king who's a bear hunter when, and all of this. So plans. when the king finds Eleanor's uh, dress ripped up and he's worried about her, do you think that's yeah. the moment it turns? Yeah, I think so. And now it's just a race to the end, um, which is an interesting structure, like a much bigger act one, a standard act two, and then a really succinct act three. Wait, what, what did you I think felt. the turning point was for act two? The witch? Yes. Okay. Do you think it's something else? I was wondering if it was the witch or the archery, like where she actively chooses to disobey and then shoots the the arrow. Or could you say it's the moment when she hears it's the firstborn and she kind of repeats that line, firstborn, and you're like, oh, she has an idea. So that's the moment she starts to go against the plan. So like the archery is her trying to go against the plan and then that doesn't work. That feels like an inciting incident because that incites the mom to scream at her which causes her to go out to the witch. I buy that this is a much different conversation, but I don't know how I felt about the witch. This is, this is, I don't even know. <laughs> like tonally? <laughs> yeah, the witch, yeah, yeah, there's something about that witch that bumped me. I wanted to see, because you know how she like bought all the wood carvings? Yeah. We didn't get the payoff. I wanted we did to not see get the, the payoff. No, I think there's a post-credit, there's a post-credit scene where I think it pays off. What? <laughs> oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> Tasha watches to the end. She lets the credits roll. I did not. I you, oh, I need to go back. A million times. She uh, has. She has. Um, what do you know? Did you do any research on, because I had heard that they'd wanted to do a, a sequel, but they didn't. That is correct. There's apparently there's none in, in the works at the moment. I don't know why, but that's, that's oh, the but last There's no like kind of story on what happened or they tried or it didn't or it wasn't. Not that I'm aware of, but. Thanks for calling me out, Michelle. I didn't do that no, much research. I, no. <laughs> it's great. Come on, Tasha. I, I, it's... God damn it. I'm going to sleep over that. <laughs> All right. What did we think about act three and how it res- the mother-daughter relationship resolves? My favorite scene in the movie was the one that you brought up where she's having to talk to 
all of the the clan people, right? And, mm-hmm. and and her mom's in the background as the as the bear, and she's like trying to interpret what her mom's saying, and that's the moment she realizes her mom's understanding her. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought that was a. She's like, oh wait, and we are going to do something, you know, whatever she says, like, and she's Break like, oh, tradition. Wait. Yeah, yeah. It's such a mom scene to love. Of course, I'm a mom. <laughs> Again, I told you I have a different point of view now that I'm a mom. <laughs> Tasha, it doesn't sound like you like Act 3. Do you like Act 3? I love Act 3. Act 3 makes me cry every single time. Oh, really? really? I didn't cry. Mm. What, oh, so what much moment? crying. Oh, so much crying. So much crying. <laughs> it's not just one moment. <laughs> Ugly cry. I think Tasha, should we turn this into a therapy session? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. I've been waiting for you to ask. <laughs> It's, I mean, by the way, every moment the mom as a bear protects Merida, I like get emotional. Tasha's going to cry right now. Yeah. I I might. It's as small as like Merida's freaking out. She's pouring all those bottles into the cauldron and then the cauldron blows up and like destroys the witch's cottage. Like in in that small moment, like Merida puts her bot or Eleanor puts her bear body in front of her daughter and completely protects her. Mm. So like that continues throughout and it's just... It's a nonverbal, very small way to show that this mom still absolutely loves her daughter. So the moment I break down is in the third act when the mom, the bear is like all tied down by all the dudes and they're all, they're about to kill her. Merida tries everything she can to protect her and is like thrown down and is about to be killed by Mordu. And then mom, who is like so weak in that moment because she's just completely taken and completely defeated. She breaks out with this huge mom strength, like mama bear strength and just protects her daughter. I'm just like, Oh my God. Yeah. That's <laughs> a great know, moment. Me. I just realized <laughs> your brave is my onward. Like a movie that people might not like that much, but there's father son elements in it. And I'm just like, oh, we man. have never talked about how much you love Onward. I've also seen that movie dozens of times. <laughs> oh, this, is this our next breakdown? <laughs> Father son story? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I didn't mean to throw you off track from your crying moments. Please no, continue. no, it's fine. <laughs> Busting into my therapy. It's fine. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I, I no, like I, I, I love, I love act three. I think. Also, Merida's speech that she has to her mom where she apologizes and finally admits for the first time, it is all my fault. And then she says, I love you. And like, that's the key word that brings her mom back. All, all of that is all the tears through the whole thing. <laughs> I love it. I think that's the arc is that she realizes she doesn't want her mom to be changed. She just wants her mom back. And they finally learn to listen to each other in act two. And all, all it took was those two scenes, by the way. I think that's something to remember. Those two key scenes that we talked about in Act 2 were kind of all you needed to, like, understand that progression. And then here you have, I'm sorry, it's all my fault. I love you. I want you back. Wait, and you're what, done. It's a movie. What were the two key scenes that we need? The the fishing scene where Merida teaches mom how to survive. And the sneaking. And then the throne room scene where mom teaches Merida how to speak properly. So it's kind like of one queen. from each point of view. Yeah. That they've each learned something from the other or... You've seen them. Yeah, which I actually thought was, is very clever because they managed to show two different perspectives in like the second half of the second act. Because it feels like the first, they're just kind of acclimating. They're getting like situated to each other, like the first part of act two. Yeah, as bear and child. (laughs) Yeah, bear and child. And then here's the thing. Wasn't the mother always protective and always protecting her daughter throughout the entire movie? 
Yes, and that's something Merida had to learn. She accepts the protecting? I think she realizes the protecting is happening. She realizes she needs to be protected. Yeah, I realize, I know you were always there for me now. I get it. I got it. you. Okay. Also, vague, could have probably been stated better. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I do feel like her final speech could have been better. It was very general. And I also, if you understood why the mom was motivated to be the way she was this whole time, we could have understood it and Merida could have understood it more too. Yeah. But it's kind of very generalized as opposed to anything from Eleanor's backstory or how the world works in their world right now, right? The Whether it's what you were saying earlier, Tasha, of the women having to be the strong ones to keep it all together because the men are all idiots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just doesn't have enough access into her character. But look, I think for, I'm, I was about to say something that I paused because I know this is something Tasha and I talk a lot about, um, who the, uh, who was intended for this, the audience intended for this movie, I think understand it because it just, it is on that very basic level. You don't need too much overstating of, mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Because I think, cause it is so general yet specific in a way, cause it still has that specificity of their specific problem, which is not listening to each other, but has that general emotional arc. It super works, especially as a Disney movie. But yeah, it could be elevated Pixar. by just these small, Pixar. same thing. So well, when it was made, was it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just have this. I hate critiquing certain things and sounding negative about movies. I just in general. Because yeah, it's so hard to make. A well, movie. by the way, because they made yeah. a movie and it was successful and we enjoyed it. And here we are. Yeah. It's so much easier to critique it. Right. No, yes. I know. I yes. love I like, like I love Pixar films. I love it. However, I felt and Tasha, you'll love you'll like this one. I felt like the world could have been a little bit bigger. Like I wanted this movie to feel like how to train your dragon in the sense of mm-hmm. uh, uh, just it just seems very closed off. And I wanted to know a little bit more that was going on outside of the forest and but maybe that was intentional. But I, I feel like there were a lot of missed moments and missed opportunities, especially when you're dealing with, you know, magic and fate. And, and fate and, like, and the, will, the will-o'-wisps, the too. The will-o'-wisps, I, I couldn't that. think yeah. of the, the word. Um, yeah. I felt like it could have been opened up a little bit <laughs> from Tasha's so look. <laughs> maybe you would have liked, no, I'm thinking, like, then maybe you would have liked Brenda's original movie, which was just had more magic in it. And I think felt We'll never felt know. Bigger. Which would get her on the podcast. Is it I've the, been thinking about it. They've ever released it on the DVD no, I, version? No, that's a good. I mean, yeah, 18 months from release, she must have had some some cut. Yeah. <laughs> release the Brenda cut. It might have just been all over the place, <laughs> though, right? So even though there was the magic and these elements, if it didn't have that cohesive, because I will say that that's what all Pixar movies, it's a generalization, but I do feel like they have that tightness of concept, right? Yeah. Uh, emotional. And um, if it's kind of veered into different directions, then it might not have, th- that might have been what the rewrite was about, is how do we keep it on that theme? I think you said something to that point, didn't you, Tasha? Yeah, that's, I think what, M- what Mark Andrews came in to do was, was streamline everything. That they, it, from an interview that I read of his, he, he mentioned one issue being that there were just a lot of characters that were being serviced, mm. and that didn't make sense to him, so he focused it more on Merida. And the mom, which is interesting. I wonder if like the brother Mordu story was more emphasized. I don't know. I, I, I'd i be curious. Got to get Brenda on. Yeah. I did think there was something about fate with 
when she sees that Mordu was also a, a spell, right? That he had also been, right? Like, I felt like there was something else there that didn't get paid off. And not necessarily the idea that he became her, <laughs> her prince, but um, <laughs> like, wait, so there are these bear spells in this world all the time? Like, what is... Yeah, and is there only bear spells? Is this the are only Are there any witch? real bears? Right. <laughs> yeah, it opens up a lot. There's a lot of unanswerable questions. I'm very curious, Josh, though, about you not liking the witch. <laughs> I don't know. Like, tonally, the witch just felt a little strange to me. She's a little goofy. I don't really like her payoff. Yeah, she was. And watching it this last time, I got the same feeling. Like, she has the, the magical voicemail part. Right. Where she, she's not she, there, but leave a, leave a message in this cauldron. She felt like a, like a Disney character in a Pixar film. That's a really great way of saying it, actually. Which, just to be clear, I love Disney and I love Pixar. I hate <laughs> talking like this about films. But um, I don't know. Maybe I just have a beef with witches. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, I see it. She was goofy. Oh, look, I think the reason, the benefit in breaking down movies and understanding them is to learn from them, right? Like, what can we learn in terms of, and, and whether it's in the storytelling or I think there's something really interesting here about the fact that it was reworked later on, right? And sometimes I've worked on movies where you've had to recut and you go, this, this is the best version it's going to be. And you feel so proud of it because you know where it was before. And at the end of the day, that kind of character and emotion through line is what's going to make a movie connect, right? And and kind of going back to some of those core basics that um, come through yeah. in your storytelling. Yeah. I'll say one last thing, un unrelated to what you were saying, so I apologize. But in, in thinking about, you know, production and how things, like, you're just so grateful it's so much better than the previous cut and, like, it's time to release, so you sort of have no other choice but to let this baby go out, even though it's maybe not as perfect as you'd like it to be. Mark Andrew was mentioning that that happened to him because, of course, he only had 18 months to sort of, quote-unquote, fix this thing. And so at the end, for example, he mentions um, there's a gesture that the king does as all the boats are, are going out in the, one of the final sequences. And, like, the gesture, he kept giving the note that the gesture should be different. Like, the gesture should be, I don't, I don't know, more confident or something. And it just wasn't. Like, the whoever was... Um, the storyboard team responsible for that moment just didn't get it done in time and they had to release the movie and it always bothers him that like this gesture could have been a bit more of a storytelling aspect for the king and the way he he sort of arcs in the movie but they just didn't get it there which tells me that some of these like dialogue shifts that we have which seem to be like very easy fixes probably just didn't get addressed in time maybe because they were worried about all the other things to get a movie out which means Brave is a perfect movie. It's just, it just no, didn't have time to be even more perfect. It's impressive. <laughs> now knowing it through this lens. I want to now read those articles. It's fascinating. I was going to say, as you were talking, though, um, from my, and I'll bring this back around, Josh, all of my experience. <laughs> um, I have so much experience. I, I counted recently, like, how many scripts I must have read in my, because I'm old now. Um, you know, when, when you when you start your career and you're reading between 10 and 20 scripts a week and then, you know, you just keep reading so much um, and it's scary to think how much I've read. But the problems you have during development tend to be the same note you have when you see your first cut. Mm -hmm. 
so it's it tends to be that same thing so it's always like you know when you when people get frustrated about i'm hearing the same note again it's like okay well there's a reason why you're hearing the same note right like how do you make sure it kind of comes through or um because when you when you talk about the difference with you know production but i've always been envious of animation i've not produced animation myself um because you can redraw something right like you're 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 seeing your cuts along the way versus needing Mm -hmm. to go back and reshoots and how much uh you you also what do do a storyboard first right so you get to kind of see it all up there yeah you get to edit early which is nice but even then we're still rewriting things in like the very always you're always the the edit editing is rewriting yeah yeah this is it unless anyone has any big bombs to drop before we go Anything, bombs anything in the final moment. Final mom, thoughts. if you're listening, <laughs> mom, if you're listening, I love you. Watch Brave. I want to be heard. <laughs> so that's our breakdown of Brave. There we thank go. Thank you for thank coming you. on, Michelle, and doing I this. I loved it. Thank it you. Thank fun. you. Okay. Quote of the day. Anytime you get two people in a room who disagree about anything, the time of the day, there is a scene to be written. That's what I look for. Aaron Sorkin. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I am Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. And Michelle, are you on any social media that you care to talk about? No. Okay. <laughs> would you like to see video of my son playing golf that's about the social media <laughs> as always the act two podcast is a production of act two a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter this episode was edited by paul lundquist 